You're listening to WCOMLP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. Thank you. Thank you again for joining me here today. And, and at the time here of recording, um, we are still in the midst of self-quarantine during the coronavirus pandemic. And like so many things that you see on TV now, we've got late night hosts, we've got Saturday Night Live, and everyone's filming from their house, and guess what? So am I! But that's pretty much like every other show. So I really shouldn't be able to brag about it. Or I can say I did it first! Not really that either. So, no. But we're also coming to you two days after Easter. If you were listening to us on terrestrial radio, if you're listening to us on podcast, I don't know when it is that you're listening to it. And if you're really curious, you should either check your watch or your phone or your computer, whichever you're nearest. And just a reminder, also, if you're listening to us, you can catch this show, this broadcast, and all other podcasts at www.snarkyfaith.com. You can also find us wherever you get podcasts from. Just look up Snarky Faith. So fair warning, if you're a newbie to the show, we're going to do something a little different than usual today. Um, And I'm going to kind of see where the time lets us go in this one. Do I have the Christian crazy? I do. Will we get to the Christian crazy? Eh. You may have to hang around and see if we get to that point. But here's what I want to do. And I'm going to kind of just give you a little bit of of preface to my thoughts of where we're going to go this hour on the show. And as I had mentioned, uh, Easter was just a few days ago. And as you've also heard me making fun in the past of all of these churches like whipping up huge productions. And, and here's how I was. Uh, sipping coffee, hanging out with my wife on Easter morning. And I'm looking through social media, reading the news. And as I'm kind of going through Facebook, I'm like, oh, gosh, here's a live stream. Here's a live stream. Here's another live stream. Here's another live stream. Here's another live stream. Here's another. Yeah, yeah, you kind of get the picture. To where I felt like I was flipping more through live streams. Um, and... And it kind of, in a weird way, nauseated me because here's what I'm going to tell you. I am not the biggest fan of Easter. Now, hold on. Before you call me a heretic, you'll have plenty of time to do that in the show. Uh, but I've never, I've never fully understood why we turn Easter into what it is. Like this weird spectacle, this King Jesus, this everything is awesome kind of uh, a thing that churches do. They turn this into their Super Bowl, like plus the World Series all in one. We do this. It's our biggest time. And and it struck me as I, as I was just kind of thumbing through like all of these live streams and not watching them. Sorry, you didn't get my view. But I, I was just noticing about how much this wasn't much different than me kind of binging on Netflix. And, and part of why a lot of this is bothering me, especially in the time of the coronavirus, is the fact that 
I, I feel like the churches feel like they need to exist because they're afraid people don't know what it is to be a Christian. So they have to continue to push all of this stuff out online. Whereas if the churches had kind of done their job, this should be a time of like, hey, we can't do church. Let's not freak out. How about you guys go do the job we told you to do? You know, the thing of like being like Jesus, the thing we said you're supposed to go and do. <laughs> How about you do that now? Oh, no, we just need to watch it on on social media. We just need a live stream. And that's church. That's really where church goes. Sorry. So I'm not saying this to be bitter, but but when, when we're calling the story of Jesus, for me, one of the most important parts of the story happens after Good Friday, after after, after the crucifixion and, and before the resurrection. And, and I think that it's a really important time that we just tend to skip over. And I'm not talking about what people speculate Jesus did when he died. I'm not talking about that. I'm actually talking about the human aspect of it. I'm talking about, like, the disciples. I'm talking about the, the death of a dream that they were going through in this time. Like, they thought it was going to go this way. They thought this is how life was going to be. And then there was this rude wake-up call for them. And everything they thought, everything they believed in and invested in and gone after just blew up right in front of their face. See, I want to talk about that and the importance of that space in the Christian walk. Now, I'm going to tell you that's not going to sell on Easter Sunday because that isn't sexy because on Easter Sunday, we only care about winners. Right, Jesus? King Jesus. Servant Jesus. Who's that guy? He died. <laughs> we like white blonde Hella sexy winner Jesus, the Jesus that when we're with him, we never get tired of winning. We like that Jesus. No, but seriously, I mean, Easter is only about winning. And, and one of the things that I believe, I don't believe it's necessarily a spiritual discipline, but, but the, really the importance of doubt in our spiritual walks. See, I... I don't put myself like in, in the Eastern narrative with Jesus because I'm not Jesus. So, you know, I have to kind of figure out like, where would you be in these scenarios and situations? And I, you know, would feel like I'd be hanging around with the disciples and I'd be like watching this happen in disbelief and then either going and throwing up uh, or going, getting very drunk or, you know, after, after like all this goes down after like, oh, this is the king. This is God. This is what's going to happen. This is going to be amazing. Oh, wait, what are they doing now? Oh, they're flogging him. Oh, oh, but soon he's gonna, he's gonna, oh, oh, now they're beating him. But of course, you know, now, oh, they're crucifying him too. But of course, eventually, you know, he's gonna do his, oh, and he's dead. And then that weird brain space for the disciples, because I feel like that is the space that Christianity does not like to talk about on a Sunday morning but I feel like that's some of the most authentic and raw space to be in. To be in that place where stuff doesn't make sense. To be in that place where you don't know what's going to happen. That like you had gone so far in this direction and now, eh? This is so much the walk of faith. And I know that won't like sell on a Joel Osteen, like, you know, you just got to believe it and then you could see it or some crap like that. But I really do. Like, I, I really, I really connect with those places because they hurt, but they happen. 
And the more that we can get used to uh, dealing with situations where we feel like everything came crashing down, the better we can be to be able to see what we're missing in here. No, 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 just, just, just go with me here. Now, for me saying that that's my favorite part of the Eastern narrative, because I feel like we're always there somehow. We always are waiting for like, when is resurrection going to happen? Like, where, where, where is it going to happen in my life? Where is that time where it's, it's going to get fixed? It's going to get better. It's going to change. When, when, when is that going to happen? And, and I feel like we are constantly in a place where we are, we are leaning towards resurrection of some type. Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe it's just in what's been going on lately in life. Maybe it's because of something you've been working towards or hoping for or praying for or, or yes. And, and we don't know what's going to happen. But we somehow have to keep going. I feel like these are the times that really define faith. And these are the times that we don't want to talk about, that we'll probably run from, <laughs> if given the option. <laughs> Would you like to choose the door of uncertainty, where you have no idea where things are going, or if even there's a reason for hope or things are going to work out? That's the path of faith. <laughs> or take this other one, <laughs> where we'll tell you Jesus is going to make everything okay. One's real, one's not. And, and so I think that to really be able to reflect on, on where we're at now in 2020 and where we're at now as we are quarantined and staying in our homes and isolated from one another and, and trying to find meaning when we don't know how long is this going to be. You'll have politicians telling you one thing. You're probably going to have crazy pastors telling you another thing. But we are really in a state of uncertainty. We're in a place of uncertainty. We're in a place where there's fear and there's death, and we really just don't know how this is going to end up. Want to have some more bad news? Woohoo! Stewart's full of it today. But uh, I was reading an article in the newspaper over the weekend where they had, I believe it was 90 people in Korea that had already had corona. Test positive for corona again. So even with this, we don't know how life is going to change. We don't know really what the future holds right now. And, it, and it's scary because we're, we're like in the ultimate place of unknown because we're also terrified of, of, of a virus. So we're terrified of something we can't even see. So we're scared and, and full of anxiety when we go to the stores. We're, we're like afraid to talk to our neighbors. We don't want to leave home. Or we're at home feeling stir-crazy because we want to do something. And we want to feel like, what, more, more time, more weeks like this? <laughs> How am I going to handle this? So some of us may be bored. Some of us may be depressed. Some of us may be filled with anxiety and fear because this is a difficult time. And instead of trying to throw like a rah-rah, hooray for Jesus kind of moment that he escaped death, I, I think the messages of, of the fact that when there is uncertainty, God is still there. Where there is doubt, God's right there. When you have no idea where you're going and you feel like you've got no faith, 
boom, God's right there. See, to me, that sells better. That sells more true and more human instead of the whitewashed Jesus. So what I wanted to do today, and as part of this experiment, sorry, that was a bit of a longer preface that I was going for, um, but holding this idea of, of Easter and, and where we're at in that kind of Easter narrative in one hand, and then holding in the other the fact that we are sheltering in place during the coronavirus. So we find ourselves in two very, very kind of weird seasons that, that, that I believe that we can find some commonality in. And in this time, the world is going to change. And I, I feel like I've been alluding to this over the past couple of shows, but when we exit all of this, whether it be a few weeks, whether it be a month or a few months, whenever we exit this, the world is going to be fundamentally different. It's going to be different. Things are not going to go back to the way they were. Now, am I preaching the apocalypse? No, I, I don't know. Like the rest of you, I don't know. Maybe it's going to be great. Maybe it's not. Who knows? That's not my point, but we are living in a place where there is a lot of agitation and uncertainty. And, and we're stuck at home. A lot of us not having things to do to work, which also <laughs> does not help when people are worried, fearful, depressed, and anxious. So now you have idle hands and idle time. Now you can, you can uh, pretty much just become a human vegetable and binge on Netflix. You can learn something new. You can begin to think of things of, of you can think of things in a way like this. Here's how I'm trying to do this. I'm not saying I'm mastering this very well. Who do I want to be when I exit this place? If the world is indeed going to be different, how should I be different in preparation? So how are you, how are you like preparing your soul, your heart in this to, to exit on the other end? Because we don't know what's going on the days ahead. So what I wanted to do um, in this hour is to be able to kind of sit down and work a little bit on some solitude work, kind of some contemplation. And I'm going to be reading uh, to you from a book. Uh, it's an old book a friend had given me years ago called Spiritual Classics. And uh, it's just a bunch of different selected readings um, about different spiritual uh, disciplines. And today I'm going to read a bit of this for you. So we're going to be talking about what to be able to do in these quiet spaces, what to do in these spaces where we're kind of in forced solitude. And a lot of us don't like quietness. I was talking to someone, gosh, it was a couple weeks back, but I remember them saying something like, I hate being alone in my apartment. So as soon as I get home, I just turn the TV on. I don't watch it. I just want sound. We're like uncomfortable with silence. We're we're uncomfortable with, with this stillness thing, especially in our culture. We, we, we've become attuned with phones and everything else like that to be able to have constant stimuli. So when we are in these places of quiet, when we're in these places where there's less going on and there's less stimuli, we kind of tend to freak out and try to fill that void. And if I'm here to preach against you, uh, binging on Netflix, uh, I would be a hypocrite because I have partaken in that as well. So 
<laughs> do not hear that I'm being high and mighty as I speak um, here. But through this passage, what I wanted to kind of take us through, um, this, is, uh, this, this section is going to be written by John Maine. And here's his like, little bio they have here. So John Maine understood well the value of both silence and solitude. Born in London to a family of Irish descent, he served in British intelligence during World War II. Always drawn to religion and the spiritual life, Maine rediscovered meditation while living in the Far East. He returned to lecture as an international law, Trinity College, Dublin, and afterward entered the Benedictine Order at Ealing Abbey in London. Influenced by the 5th century writings of John Cassian, Maine learned the ancient Christian discipline of prayer, of the prayer of silence. He began teaching the ways of silence, solitude, and prayer to a wide variety of audiences in many parts of the world. He founded the Benedictine Priory of Montreal and established a worldwide spiritual family linked through the practice of meditation. So what I'm going to do here is we're going to kind of go through just a little bit of time of meditation. Um, so if you happen to be tuning into this, whether it's on broadcast or podcast, this may be a little time just to have a little bit of quiet. Because one thing that I have been trying to do in my time here um, of quarantine um, is to find things that give me life, to just begin to add them into my routines. For me, it feels good to go and work in the garden or go build something in my yard. So I've been building plant boxes and gardening. The quiet of it is good for my soul. And for a lot of us, we don't get a lot of quiet. I know there's parents out there that this is a very difficult time um, with having to also have kids going through school at home, and you didn't expect to be a homeschool parent in 2020. And that can be very stressful. But learning to be able to find small bits of time, small bits of places to contemplate, to breathe, to pray, being able to carve out that kind of time is something that can help you moving forward. So I'm going to read a small section um, from John Maine's The Meaning of Silence. And then we'll talk about some scripture and then we'll debrief a bit. I'm going to do this, be a little exper experiential today. There is a great feeling among our contemporaries, I think, of the need, perhaps, even the extremely urgent need to rediscover the spiritual dimension in our lives. There's a feeling that unless we do recover that spiritual dimension, we are going to lose our grip on life altogether. In meeting that feeling, we must be perfectly clear that a commitment to the spiritual values is by no means a rejection of the ordinary things of life. Indeed, the exact opposite is true. Commitment to the spiritual reality is simply commitment to reality, and it is the way to really appreciate the wonders of all life. And it is the way to come to understand the extraordinary fact of the mystery of life itself, the inner hidden secret of life that gives it its real excitement. Entering on a spiritual path is coming to appreciate our life as a voyage of discovery. It is certainly my experience that if you set out on a path of meditation, 
with this commitment to enter deeply into your own interior hidden life, then every day you will become a revelation of new dimension to that life and a deeper understanding of it. Now tread the spiritual path. Now to tread the spiritual path, we must be silent. What is required of us is a journey into profound silence. Part of the problem of the weakening of religion in our times is that religion uses words for its prayers and rituals, but those words have to be changed with meaning, and they must be changed with sufficient meaning to move our hearts, to set us out in a new direction, and to change our lives. They can only be changed with this degree of meaning if they spring from the Spirit, and Spirit requires silence. We all need to use words. But to use them with power, we need to be silent. We all need religion. We all need spirit. Meditation is the way to silence because it is the way of silence. Now, we don't need to be too abstract with this. We all know that we can often come to know another person most profoundly in silence. To be silent with another person is a deep expression of trust and confidence. And it is only when we are unconfident that we feel compelled to talk. To be silent with another person is truly to be with the other person. Nothing is so powerful in building mutual confidence between people than a silence, which is easeful and creative. Nothing reveals inauthenticity more dramatically than silence that is not creative but fearful. We must let the silence emerge. And I think what all of us have to learn is that we do not have to create silence. The silence is within us. What we have to do is to enter into it, to become silent, to become the silence. The purpose of meditation and the challenge of meditation is to allow ourselves to become silent enough to allow this interior silence to emerge. Silence is the language of the Spirit. These words of St. Paul writing to the Ephesians are charged with the power of silence. With this in mind, then, I kneel in prayer to the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name, that out of the treasure of his glory, that he may grant you strength and power through his spirit in your inner being, that through faith Christ may dwell in your hearts and love. It's Ephesians 3, 14 through 16. The words we use in trying to communicate the Christian message and the Christian experience have to be changed with strength and power, but they can only be charged with strength and power if they spring from the silence of the, sp of the spirit in our inner being, leaving behind all other words, ideas, imaginations, fantasies, is learning to enter into the presence of the Spirit who dwells in our inner heart, who dwells there in love. The Spirit of God dwells in our hearts in silence. And it is in humility and in faith that we must enter into that silent presence. St. Paul ends the message in Ephesians with the words, so you may attain to fullness of being, the fullness of God himself. 
that is our destiny. In our old world, the pre-COVID world, I feel like silence was something that was hard to come by. And now, in the place where we find ourselves, silence isn't that much of a stranger. Like I've noticed, even like working in my garden, how many less cars I hear. Just kind of that, that noise of the hustle and bustle of life moving on, people's radios, engines moving by, people walking through a neighborhood, and those voices. It's, there's moments of quiet that are happening. And those moments I want to bring to you are a gift. And the more that we can trust ourselves to be in a place of silence, I, I truly believe the more we'll be able to, to hear, to really see other people, to love other people, to move out into the world in a way that is compassionate and loving, but also has a critical eye on what is happening around us. I mean, these are those places of, of, of small rest for the spirit. And, and this is one thing that I've heard, for, I've heard for years working in churches and out of churches and just being a human and having friends too. But, but one thing I always constantly heard, especially when I worked with organizations that, that needed volunteers were from people where they're just, I'm just so busy. I don't have any time. I don't feel like I can breathe. Our lives are as full as they are because we allow them to be. So in this time of quarantine, why not begin a new habit of entering into silence and meditation? Some of you may take it further and go into to an area of, of, of prayer or asking God or the universe uh, for, for communion in, in that space. So whether it is just quieting your soul to quiet your busy mind or whether it's trying to talk to the divine, being able to carve out this, this kind of time and being able to create a habit of this can be a wonderful experience to do in this time. Also, I really believe it'll help us to stay sane in this time as well. Because we're to that phase. I, I'd heard someone say recently, we're, we're finally to that phase of the uh, dying hair phase of the pandemic. Simply where people that have their hair colored, their roots are showing, girl. It's that time where we start to see the hair color come out. And when the, we get to that place, uh, that's the place where this starts to feel more normal. And we start getting good at pandemicing. Um, and we kind of settle into a new normal. I mean, I've seen the same rhythms. You know, we've developed new rhythms. I'm not driving kids around everywhere, but we're helping kids with school. Um, we're still juggling, working, and being parents. I mean, so it's the stresses of life are, are always there waiting for us. But but we all have a little bit more space right now. Space to step into the silence and step into those places where we can quiet ourselves. Because 
when we exit this place, when we exit this place of, of quarantine, as I said before, the world will be different. And a, a grounded and quiet and peaceful soul uh, is, is much better able to handle it. And it is also someone uh, that will kind of walk and engage in peace as they move out into it. Almost in a way of saying it, that, that, that peacefulness, the groundedness can also be very contagious. I mean, silence and contemplation and reflection are, are the key tools to continue to remind ourselves of who we really are. I know it tends to happen with me when regular life will come back in, taking kids here, there, the other, going shopping, picking this up, getting this done, doing all of this work on top of it, and inside, you know, all this stuff. Our, our lives, we, we learn how to pack them full. I think sometimes we actually pack them full because we're afraid of silence. What happens if I stop? What does it mean if I stop? What does it mean if I slow down and breathe and reconnect? As my wife would put it, um, for me, when I get fully into that mode where I'm not very disconnected, when I'm very disconnected from myself and, and just kind of a, it's almost a robot. She says, she says, oh, you're, Stuart, you're, you're kind of in robot mode now. Robot mode means Stuart's just trying to get so many things done. It's almost like my body is just a vessel and, and I'm very disconnected from myself as I'm just moving through. And I, I've heard this, this old phrase told me many, many times before, but it's one that continues to resonate when we talk about this, um, is that, that we, are, we are human beings, not human doings. And I know it's, it's, it's silly and trite, but it's very true that we are human beings. We're not human doings, and we need to be able to get to a healthier place of being and not strictly being defined by what we do. So for me, quiet, meditation, contemplation, prayer, those being able to carve out just small spaces, part of that for me is breathing, is just breathing. As I notice, the more I'm busy, the I breathe very shallow, and I just go, and I and my tensions and my anxiety just just are always always kind of moving me forward, always kind of at a state of high of hypervigilance. And adding these kinds of disciplines can be ones that are helpful. Now, I'm admitting this because I I have known this for years, and I have done it on and off, but I've had to do. <laughs> <laughs> during quarantine just to be able to stay sane and sane. Uh, so having a small house with all six people in it all the time can be kind of crazy. So yes, as I mentioned earlier, I've, I've worked on silence of working with my hands outside also when I have time. And I find that very therapeutic and meditative. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of end this like little section we're talking about here with a quote from uh, the author, also Richard Forrester, um, who's the editor of this book. And he asks this question, why is silence so helpful? It's not just that we use words to control and manage others and need to be free from such soul-destroying habits. 
though, this is true enough. It is that we use words constantly to adjust our public image. You see, we fear so deeply that other, what others think of us. If we have done some wrong thing, or even some good thing that I think might be misunderstood, and I learn that you know, uh, know about it, I am going to be very tempted to speak up and straighten you out, for that matter. Now, silence is one of the deepest disciplines of the spiritual life simply because it puts the stopper on all that self-justification. Through, through the discipline of silence, we are learning to place our reputation in God's hands. We no longer need to be sure everyone understands us or thinks well of us. We let go of even needing to know what they think about us. We are silent. Interestingly, we come to value words more in times of silence. This is because we are no longer cheapened, cheapening words by overuse. We are still in the stillness. We are still and in the stillness. We are creating an open, empty space where God can draw near. And in this stillness, we just may hear God's voice in this wondrous, terrible, loving, all-embracing silence. Now, I bring all of this back to where I began at the beginning of our hour. So we are now, I'm bringing back the, the barrage uh, of church busyness and live streams that I saw online. Watch parties galore. Replays. I could have watched everything if possible. When I even talked to my mother to wish her a happy Easter, she was, this was like for her, this was like, I was going to say a Christian holiday, but this is kind of like winning like the lottery. She's like, oh, I've gotten to watch three or four church services this morning. And in my head, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> what did you do wrong? <laughs> no, no, no. For me, that would be torture. For me, that would be torture. For her, this was, this was like, uh, yeah, her birthday and Christmas and Easter all in one on Easter. That was a really bad metaphor. But um, in speaking about this, I, I was just noticing of just all the production, all the effort, the blood, sweat, and tears to just impress, 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 impress. To where these live streams seems like the worst of social media. Love me, like me, watch me, need me, validate me. I'm going to show you the best version of myself. That's what the churches were doing. They were being Instagram influencers. I knew people that, um, churches that have been strategizing for weeks how to make theirs the best. where I really think that we needed to be in the silence. I mean, again, for me, the most human part of Easter is not knowing how it's going to turn out. 
because it's always great. Like I like we like I like us having these Easter celebrations that uh, so many people like. Christians thought they were going to lose their mind if they couldn't show up in a church service because if they can't show up in a church on a Sunday, somehow God ceases to exist. It's ridiculous. It, 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 yeah. But, but I think being able to continue to have a faith and continue to have a conversation and continue to seek out after God when nothing makes sense, when everything seems like it doesn't make sense. It's not going to work out everything that you wanted. I just go back to those places with the disciples of watching that after Jesus. I, I, I want to think about those days where Jesus was in the tomb and what they did, hanging out together, crying together, making excuses together, being angry and furious and then despondent and depressed, screaming and hitting things. I mean, I just, I can just think of all the emotions that were going on there. But I think those are the places that are so incredibly real. I somehow wish we were able to incorporate these kind of things more into the Christian walk. The dirtiness, the messiness, the I don't know-ness. The doubts and the fears of it all. Because when church becomes something like social media, dear God, or when church becomes televangelism and it's just a production, or when church is essentially a production in a small building like a, <laughs> a community, community theater production, help me God. Because I believe that silence also reveals in us our insecurities and our fears. Uh, and in the, uh, the last episode, we were talking about the, the process of, uh, we were talking about the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead and the process of, of, of Shiva of, uh, in the Jewish culture of, of, of the process of mourning and sitting in silence. It is not easy. It is not easy to do that. But my hope when we talk about meditation and, and entering into these places of, of quiet and contemplation, my hope is that it can give us the keys to transform us, to become something more. If we are grounded in who we are, then we're less likely to get offended by someone else. If we're grounded in who we are, we're less likely to judge other people or, or look down upon them because we know that I don't have it all together, but I'm just doing the best I can. And if we can be that honest within ourselves, we can be a lot more graceful and honest with other people. And if we can and grab one thing, one thing from, from this time is that we're in this time of coronavirus and it is a huge pause button to life. And it is my hope for all of us to be able to somehow make the most of it. 
to do a lot of that work, whether it be <laughs> digging in the dirt, which is good soul work, or soul work where you're learning to be quiet. We're learning to be open. We're learning to be humble. We're learning to look around us and be aware and awake of seeing where in our communities am I needed? If we are more grounded, we're able to see the plight of others and we don't completely just turn and look at ourselves. You know, when church becomes just the most badass video production uh, for a live stream, just like the rest of social media, us only showing the best versions of ourselves as aren't really even ourselves. We become more fake and authentic, even though we can say that we're more connected. If we really want to be able to connect with other people, we have to connect with ourselves. We have to be able to connect <laughs> with God as well, too. We have to be able to be quiet and be silent. And one thing that I, um, I did love, and I'm kind of doing our show in reverse, where we usually start the show with the bad versions of Christianity, the Christian crazy, and then we move towards what could be better about it. But this, this story, it really struck me because it really felt like most of the news were about either churches, um, churches not, uh, or trying to disobey the stay-at-home orders because somehow we need to have church, or was really just me being bombarded by crazy live streams from people. But, but this one, I think, kind of went through the cracks, and this, 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 this. This is good news. And this is in the Washington Post. And it's from an article entitled, it's going to tell you the whole story. And it's a beautiful story. A West Virginia church spends Easter making masks and other PPEs uh, using 3D printers. PPEs being personal protective equipment. And this church, this church ended up quarantining together. So they were made sure nobody was sick. And so they kind of self-quarantined a group of volunteers from this church and they have been, according to the government rules, they're following the government guidelines, making masks and personal protection equipment for, for hospitals. And there's been other churches. There's been other ones. And I know I rag on churches a lot too, but that, this in West Virginia is, the, yeah, Crossroads Church in West Virginia, that, that is a beautiful, beautiful example of Easter. That is the best example of Easter. That is not the Joel Osteen uh, with Mariah Carey Easter but this is like Jesus Easter. Like people looking ahead, we'll all stay together. <laughs> we'll all like create our own sweatshop as we stay locked in a place together to do something to help others. That is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful view of the gospel. Other churches have been trying to turn their, uh, turn their buildings into daycare centers uh, for, for children of healthcare workers. And others have been allowing the parking lots to be open for testing centers or for blood drives. And so there is good stuff happening out there. So I do, I do, I do want to talk about good news and good things in this before we get to any of the Christian crazy. But, but being able to see these needs takes us being grounded. And just because we don't get to go inside a church building on Easter doesn't mean our faith dies. I'll even challenge you to say I don't know that watching an Easter live stream or even showing up to church on Easter really affects your faith at all. I'm sure I know you're going to argue with me. I don't get the warm and tinglys. 
I love singing in my Sunday best. Great. But the realness of our faith are in these quiet spaces where stuff doesn't always make sense like we're at right now. We can do some good work and gain perspective and be grounded and begin to look towards what's next. What is on the horizon? Because we're going to exit. We're going to be out of this at some point. Two weeks, months, year, I don't know, but we will be out of this at some point in the future. And who are you going to be when you exit this place? Who are you going to become? What are you going to be a part of? What is your faith going to tell you? How are you going to make the world better by walking out the ways and teachings of Jesus? So embrace the silence. Embrace the space that you're in. And don't be so quick to run away from it. Because we're all here, and we can't change it. And this is a very unique place in history. So make the most of this unique time. Because I believe you can do it. And I believe we can, a lot of us can exit this thing and really begin to look at the world in a new way, a better way, a more compassionate way. So enough of this. Enough of this feel-good stuff. <laughs> I had enough of it. It's time to be snarky, right? You guys turned into snarky faith. So, yes. So, yeah. And me deciding to do the show in reverse order. So we were going for hopefulness where we want to be. Now, let's just, I think in our remaining time here, let's just spend a little time remembering what we don't want to be. Oh, what we don't want to get ourselves involved in and what a mess Christianity is and why we need silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without silence, we're going to get a bunch of this stuff here in the Christian Crazy. Here we go. Claude Hammers, the Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. in our abbreviated version of the Christian Crazy, with what time you have left, we're going to be giving you two hot takes, two hot takes from the Christian Crazy on kind of how the, the, the coronavirus, what should we be doing, you know, wise stuff, things from deep thinkers. Because remember, we learned last week from Kenneth Copeland that, well, essentially the coronavirus is gone because Kenneth gave it a BJ. <gasps> Yep, not sure it worked. But hey, Ken, just work on your technique. Work on your technique. But first up, we are going to one of the like the great granddaddies of the Christian crazy, Pat Bartholomew Robertson Jr. Or really just Pat Robertson. So Pat, Pat's got to take. He's he's had enough of this virus stuff. He's had enough. He's got some good advice of what we need to do. Do you realize what's happened? This is an inert virus, and we have cowered before this inert virus. It has, caused, it has destroyed our economy. Uh, it has put panic into our entire population. Uh, it's disrupting all of our uh, way of living, and it is closing the churches of Jesus Christ, and people are not able to go and worship together in their churches because of this bug. And I think it's time for the church to go on the attack. 
instead of just cowering in our uh, cars and in our social distancing, I think it's time that we stand up and speak the Word of God and command that thing to leave us. And let's not take it anymore. Like, I wish we could cue to like that, you know, we're not gonna take it. No, Pat's not gonna take it. No. <laughs> Pat's not gonna take it, coronavirus. Did you hear that? We need to go on the offensive as a Christian. Most Christians don't even know what that means because they think we're just supposed to be offensive. No, offense is when you have the ball in sports. Offensive is when you talk about the Bible to anyone else. <laughs> That's kind of how it works out. Okay, sorry, back to this. But first of all, questions, questions, questions here. Uh, the virus is inert. I don't know that you know what inert means, Pat. You may know what incontinent means, but inert, you're kind of getting that wrong because we're all cowering to something that's inert. That doesn't, okay. So all we really need to do here, mm -hmm, go on the offense. Hey, you know, virus, instead of infecting me, let's go infect the virus. Maybe let's, you know, go make out with this girlfriend. Maybe we can infect her too. <laughs> Take that COVID. What? I don't know. That was really weird and bizarre. Sorry. Sorry. Quarantine's doing things in my brains. I'm not really sure. But yes, what? I don't even know what the offensive is. Yes, certainly, Pat. Should Shall we pray for people? Yes. Why wouldn't you lead with that? But now we've got an alternative take to the coronavirus. Because, you know, we've heard Pat say it's inert. I mean, other people in the past keep saying it's from Satan. Do you know what? Pat Robertson is the granddaddy, the great-granddaddy. The OG, the OG of the Christian crazy. Mm -hmm. The OG, the original grifter, Jim Baker. And we've got William Koenig talking about the origins of the coronavirus to Jim Baker. President Trump's had a lot of other things to deal with, a lot of other challenges, but it's his son-in-law that really pushed forward to develop a plan, and that plan was going to be the so-called deal of the century. But what's different here, Jim, it was a plan on how to create boundaries, establish boundaries in Israel that would have created an Arab state in the heart of Israel, which is Judea and Samaria and parts of East Jerusalem. Wow. So this event could be God's reaction to America dividing Israel right now? Jim, it fits the pattern. You know, I look at uh, President Trump and all the wonderful things he's done, all the almost 200 federal judges that have been put in the court, standing with evangelicals uh, in, uh, with our religious rights, uh, putting uh, pro-life uh, judges in, in the bench, the Supreme Court and other benches around America. Uh, eliminating a lot of regulation that was so hard for businesses to operate, lowering the income tax rate for corporations so they could compete compete better with international uh, with uh, with other uh, countries. Uh, so many positive things. Things were going so well for him, despite the Democrats' attempt to try to remove him from office. There was favor on him. Things were going so well for him, and then all of a sudden, stop. Stop. Like, when you really hear this, like, God sounds like, like, the biggest bitch. Can you believe him? I mean, 
oh my God. Like, things were going great for Trumpster, but then, you know, his son-in-law, we're not going to say it, but you know what we're really saying here. He's Jewish. And, you know, he did something wrong in the Holy Land, and God said, oh no, oh no, forget this. I'm out of here. And God just threw some shade onto Trump. And that's how we got the coronavirus. <laughs> that's what's being said here. It, 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 Jim, it checks off all the signs. Look at what Trump was doing. Everything God likes. God likes federal judges. God likes standing with evangelicals. God likes pro-life judges. God likes eliminating regulation for businesses. <laughs> and God also likes... Lowering income tax. Uh, so, so yes, the coronavirus, the coronavirus, man, it's all just because of Jared. Let's blame Jared. I mean, I'm fine with that. If you scapegoat, let's blame Jared. It's all Jared Kushner's fault. But, oh, what, what, what? So, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So coronavirus, some of our responses is figure out who to blame. It's because we pissed off Israel and the whole magic is off. We did all of these incantations to make the Lord happy. But now he's been spurned. Kushner. Or going on the offensive to deal with that inert coronavirus. No, this is all dumb. But like we talked about at the beginning of our show, we don't want to be the Christian crazy. We don't want to be people spouting nonsense and conspiracy theories or weird Christian conspiracy theories because they all have the word conspiracy involved in them. They're all bad. But we want to be people that are aware and awake and grounded in this world. And if we are aware, awake, and grounded in who we are and what it means to care for our neighbors and to love those around us, we are better prepared to help those around us in this time of need. And I love, the one thing I did love reading uh, in all the Easter coverage was, was part of um, Pope Francis's message. And he, in his message, referred to the people out there trying to do good and help in the midst of this pandemic as the saints next door. I like that. I like that. I like that. So that's what I want for all of you. I want that for me, too. But I want that for all of you, is to be able to be the saints next door. So are you checking on your neighbors? Are you checking in on those, those shut-ins and other people around you, for your family, your friends, huh? Be that bit of positivity. Be that good news to those around us in this time of craziness. And be the saints next door. So as I end this broadcast, just a reminder, you can catch us as podcast at www.starkyfaith.com or wherever you find podcasts. Just look up Starkey Faith. And we're living in a crazy times. 
So stay sane, <laughs> stay smiling, stay snarky, and let me send you out with the holiest amount of grace and snark and peace. I'm out of here. Peace! Nasty, snarky face.